Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. conversation. I know. I love these people. Um, you know, I, I just feel like I could talk to other couples at nauseum about this desire and this hunger for conscious relationship. Mm. Uh, and these two do it in a way that is just so grounded and real and accessible and, um, all the things. And, and so I feel like I am walking away from this conversation that y'all about to listen to, uh, with different perspectives and, and just, I don't know, inspired. Yeah. I I think you will too. Yeah. I think they actually, to me, define what it means to create a conscious relationship where that can sort of feel a little like, "Eh, what is that? You know, like almost, um, like elitist is the word that's coming to mind, but I don't know if that's what I mean, but like the way that conscious relationships has just sort of become like a buzz phrase, Mm -hmm. but that I feel like people almost feel like whatever you're doing in your relationship is wrong. Right. And I love the way that they sort of really give you this idea of what we're creating together, right? Like how we're really challenging systems and structures and consciously deciding what we want to create together in terms of our relationship. That's a really good way to put it. It's like, it becomes less of this like intangible label and it becomes Mm -hmm. more of like, oh no, they're just two humans that are, that are owning their humanity and are committed to allowing evolution Mm -hmm. and change to be a part of their relationship. And in some ways that actually is the definition of a conscious relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as we did. We both got off like giddy little, giddy little schoolgirls. (laughs) Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Vanessa and I are just giddy kids today. So excited for this conversation. We have some personal friends of ours that are back in the house and two people that we just admire so deeply. Thanks for being here. We have Christy Bourne and Rainier Wild with us today, who are both partners in life and in podcasts as hosts of Love Like Hell podcast. I love it. Um, Christy, what? It's a phenomenal podcast. Absolutely. is <laughs> um, a marriage and family therapist who's worked extensively with families, couples, and adolescents in a variety of contexts in order to bring peace of mind and decrease suffering. And Rainier is a teacher, guide, and writer who works with men and women around the world to discover their unacknowledged shadow and forge an intimate union with their masculine and feminine. You guys, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited. We've been looking forward to this for a while now. (laughs) And it's April Fool's Day. I know. We're like, we're not really coming. We're just pretending. Yeah. I thought it'd be a fun (laughs) joke. (laughs) See you guys later. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, those of you um, who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that we've had Rainier on the podcast before, which was an episode. I think you were the only episode where I sat and cried like a baby. (laughs) 
baby Aww. for like 10 minutes. So moved by what you were saying. And certainly one of our favorite episodes. And I think, you know, both Vanessa and I found the two of you through a friend of ours, um, a mutual friend, Nico Barraza. And Christy, I just, you know, really fell in love with you listening to your podcast episode um, when um, Nico was interviewing you. And so it's great to get to meet you in person. But um, I think your your love and your your journey around your love has just been such an inspiration to me as well as so many people. Um, and so I, I I'm so grateful you guys are coming on to talk about your love and all of all of the things that you do. But will you tell us a little bit about you know just the decision to start a podcast? Should we start there? Yeah, let's do it. You know, it was really interesting because for a long time. Um, I felt that Christy and I had this story that was just ours. Hmm. It was ours and, and no one else could have it. It was one of those sacred places that, that um, sometimes I talk about that it takes years for me to even um, begin to kind of whisper about because I'm still getting a handle on it. I'm still trying to understand it. And it began to leak out. It, at first, it, it leaked out in podcasts that I was doing. I remember it, it might have actually been um, Nico's podcast when I talked about some of the experiences that we had shared. And then Nico re replied to me and said, oh, my God, I'm getting so much feedback from this. This is really incredible. And then it wasn't too long afterwards, uh, I was asked to, to speak to a, a group of women. And, and they said, would you talk about infidelity? I said, oh, well, wow, that's the least um, interesting thing in the world for me to have to talk about right now, but I would love to. And one thing began to lead to another, and what, what Christy and I kind of realized somewhere along the way was that these stories that were so exclusively ours seemed to actually belong to many in the collective. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so we began to feel this increasing weight, I think, to share those stories with yeah. others. Um, not from a place of like high-handed theoretical truth about relationships, but that our relationship could become the, the scaffolding by which other people could begin to work on their own relationships. Yeah, there's such an echo chamber, I think, uh, when you talk about infidelity, like it's not out there, no one's really talking about it in the ways that are meaningful, and that there's a lot of shame attached to it. And so I think that when uh, Rainier started to step into that, there was that void. Mm -hmm. And since we had been walking through it for a while, it felt such a natural place to, to share that. So there wasn't an echo chamber anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and we wanted to do it in a creative and meaningful way. And one of the things that we have is we have our professional background, which actually is very helpful in describing some of the things that we've walked through and personally something that people could really attach to. And so that made it, um, I think, more tangible, you know, like reading a lot of um, Esther Perel's work, like sometimes it can feel out there mm. and kind of overwhelming versus a personal exchange. And so meeting people in that has been so helpful like them saying oh i don't feel alone thank mm -hmm. you 
You're so spot on. Like when, as you were talking, I was like, I think Esther Perel is actually the only person that I can really think of who talks a lot about infidelity, but she talks about it as a clinician. She talks about it as like what I've seen, like my, and, and it's very helpful. And obviously I love Estera, right? And, and she's so eloquent in the way she speaks about it, but it isn't, it doesn't feel personal. And there is something, and I'm, I'm recognizing too, and like how my partner and I work together, the way that people respond when you're like, no, 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 let's break down what actually just happened between you and I five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh my God, first of all, you're, you're a therapist and you're human, right? It's like, it, it kind of simultaneously breaks down the stigma of whatever the issue is. So in this, you know, this conversation, infidelity, and also the stigma around like healers, air quotes, have it all together. It's like, you're breaking down multiple walls and, and stereotypes, I think at the same time. And I, I think that's really profound. And thank you for saying that, because I, I think that one of the things that, um, that we really suffer from collectively is that sense that there's somewhere out there to get to, yes. right? That, that happiness or enlightenment or whatever it is, the perfect relationship is out there. And if I can just, if I can go to school long enough, or if I can read enough books, or if I can, you know, finally find the right one, mm-hmm. that the problems are going to evaporate. And it ain't so. And I think that one of the things that, you know, we're really trying to, to talk about between the two of us is the immense amount of work that real love is. And I don't mean to say it's a burden, right? I mean, I I think this is one of the things that we, we actually disappoint people around because while love is like help, man, it's also fun. I mean, we have a lot of fun, even in the hardest moments. This is one unique thing we were talking with, uh, was it Alexandra Solomon? Yeah. Yeah. Alexandra Solomon. And, and she was kind of mentioning something about, you know, the, the, the intensity of it. And and we said, well, well, yeah. And then we kind of both giggled. We're like, (laughs) yeah. And we laugh a lot. Yeah. Right. We laugh a lot. So there is this dynamic um, uh, place and we want to invite people into both of them, just into reality, because that's it. It's the work. It's the play. Um, that's reality. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the reasons I've been so grateful for the way that the two of you talk about infidelity is, you know, I'm I feel like I'm primarily a couples therapist working with couples is sort of my jam. And almost, I mean, such a large percent of, of the presenting issue when people come to see me is um, feeling like they're in the midst of crisis after an infidelity. It's just a very common reason that people come to couples therapy. And, you know, Esther is a mentor and a teacher of mine. And I, I, I see infidelity through a very different lens than I think we are sort of culturally conditioned to hold yeah. it. Um, and one of the things I loved, and I, I think this is probably the fact that you're a therapist, Christy, is when I first heard you being interviewed talking about your experience, um, almost, Im- you know, not immediately, I'm sure, but pretty close to right after the discovery of um, this happening between the two of you was your curiosity, you know, mm-hmm. your attempt to what Vanessa's partner, John, always says, seek to understand before seeking to be understood, right? And just the extent to which you dropped into the questions of like really attempting to understand how we got here, I was so moved by. Um, do you feel like you sort of switched into your clinical brain to get there? Or was that sort of like the way that you move through the world in general, do you think? Well, I felt like there had to be more. I think mm-hmm. that's the 
probably the easiest way to answer that, that there had to be more than what I was seeing in front of me. And I would say no doubtedly my training, you know, within that, um, like, what are all the pieces to this picture? Mm-hmm. Surely it's not just this one act, mm-hmm. right? Surely it's not just this, you know, at that time, the biggest kind of disruption I had known in my life. And so, yeah, I wanted to understand it. I wanted to figure out um, how this all worked. And at the time, you know, like kind of thinking about uh, patterns and I don't think we had, we had an understanding of family of origin stuff, but not to the depth. I mean, it is a little bit silly to me that um, we kind of scratched the surface. We had it dug very deep into how our family of origins really impacted how how we paired. I mean, how we paired, I will tell you, is uh, we were a perfect fit. Yeah, it's almost almost laughable, right? It is so laughable. You're like, okay, so obvious. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly it. It was like, uh, how could we not have found each other? And so like my family of origin was really built on secrets, keeping secrets so no one else would find them and keeping everything together in that way. And it really fit perfect with Rainier's family of origin. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I was made for you in this. Like we, we found home, but we also had to dismantle it to know what that home actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's also like you find home and if you have the ability because not everybody does, obviously, but if you have the ability to recognize that and say, obviously we were made for each other and we are just like, you know, it's that opposite, yin yin and yang, like we go together like glue, but there's so much opportunity for you to be my mirror and me to be your mirror. I think so many of the problems that I see in couples is like, they don't, they can't get there, right? It's like, they've come together and there's usually an unconscious reason that they come together. Right. And even once we make the reason conscious, there's such a, the ego has such a hard time being like, and this mirror is so powerful for me and my transformation. The the ego still wants to be like, yeah, but you're wrong Mm. and you did this and it's your fault. And, you know, I think it's important to say that like your, your training, I'm sure did have a little bit to do with the fact that you were able to go to that curiosity and say, what is this teaching me? You know, I think that, um, that bit about the, uh, the things that pull us together, it, like we weren't necessarily aware of our shadow, Totally, our shadow is the thing, like it brought us. Right. And it's the thing that we had to learn. Like we have to bump up until into this thing until we figure it out. Yep. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to find that over and over again until we can dismantle it and really see it and work through it. So, um, I wish that we had been more awake, right. In that, mm. um, but that's been our process is waking up. Right. It would have been a hell of a lot more fun, right. <laughs> if we had actually been able to talk about our shadows, uh, very openly. Um, but like 
like so many people, and I think probably like everyone at some point in time in their life, we were profoundly asleep to them. We wanted to put the best foot forward. We wanted to invest in each other. You know, there's so much hopefulness at the beginning of a relationship, right? It's like, oh, this is going to be the one who's going to transform my darkness into light. I don't even need to bring up the darkness. Mm -hmm. Let's not even talk about it. It's not even real anymore. It's all perfect now. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect because they're perfect and they think I'm perfect yep. and so I must be. And it feels so great. And of course, it's the tip of the iceberg. There's a mountain underneath you're not talking about. Um, even if you think you are. I mean, that's what's so delightful about relational development, right? That even if you think you're ahead of the game, you're not. You know, it's like we like to joke that, you know, a, a young couple can go out and and he's trying to be authentic. You know, he's really trying to, or she is. And, and they say to each other, well, you know, I'm a serial killer. And the other person's like, oh my God, he's so authentic. That's wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing that. It's like, we're so profoundly delusional uh -huh. um, in those early moments and necessarily so. It's motivating to get off the couch. And so one of the things that we talk about is like the gift of illusions that we give each other, mm -hmm. right? We actually give each other this beautiful gift of of, of our best foot because otherwise we'd stay on the couch we'd stay at home we wouldn't rise to the occasion we'd say oh my isolation and loneliness are fine lonely 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 we wouldn't and procreate our we wouldn't procreate <laughs> right exactly yeah 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 i feel like you do such a beautiful job rainier i mean you know i like i gush about your writing to the point where it gets embarrassing <laughs> christine i'm sure you're like okay and i stop um and I feel like you do such a beautiful job of holding the tension of the opposites in your writing in terms of like, what is so beautiful about love and Eros and the magic that you're talking about with still speaking to the realities, but not in like a like, so just like, don't believe in the magic way. I don't know if I'm articulating that, but you keep us believing in magic even well, cool. while keeping yeah. it real, right? You're able to keep it, you're able to keep people there's like a groundedness in the reality with at the same time that reality doesn't take away like the amazingness and the mm -hmm. magic and the right. And, and reminding people that both can exist, you yeah. know, and, and, and we can have struggle and we can have magic and they can both live in the, under the same house together. Um, and actually the struggle can be magic, which mm -hmm. I think is a really important piece. That right there, I, I love that you said that. Gush away. That is just so. <laughs> He's like, bring it on, all of it. <laughs> please, please, don't stop. He loves this stuff, guys. <laughs> uh, I, love I have a Leo moon. Adoration is very important to oh, me. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but, but here's the reality. What you're saying, I think in everything that we're talking about, we have to understand that the real magic is reality. Yeah, exactly. The real transcendence is the imminent. And when we begin to fall in love with life as it is, when we begin to see the everyday kind of magic of the mundane around us, oh my God, suddenly a world is transformed, mm. right? We, we, we don't look back in anger. We don't, we don't blame. We don't make excuses. We simply look out our window and I'm seeing, even as I look out our window right now, I'm seeing these beautiful cherry blossoms all around. But you know what? I'm also seeing this dead shrubbery, this moss, and all of it belongs. Yes. It's all the most beautiful, riveting thing. So I think that really is how we try and look at relationships. I certainly think that's how we look at our relationship. You know, we get a lot of airplay on this infidelity thing. But here's the thing. 
that infidelity, while I certainly don't don't claim it to be a, a good thing. In fact, I like to say rather, um, oh, what would I what would I call this? It, it's like the most underwhelming statement of the year when I say I was not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the reality: um, infidelity, whether it is a betrayal of um, of a partner in this case. But infidelity itself, which is really betraying those things that you once thought were certain, Mm. is a necessary gift at times in your relationship. So we've talked about family of origins. Well, we come in with family of origin stories. And those origin stories are certain. Those belief systems, those structures are locked in on us. And the gift of being unfaithful to those stories is discovering yourself anew. So we believe collectively in infidelity, mm-hmm. right? The, the fidelity of faithlessness yeah. to your old narratives, to your old stories, to your old ways of being. You have to have those disruptions if you're ever going to discover one another anew, I think. All of those things like infidelity, we also talk about they come in lots of different forms. Yeah. And so ours came in, you know, a sexual infidelity, but there have been other ways that we have been unfaithful or broken agreements and in ways to find ourselves breaking out of religious molds right or political views or whatever they are all the all the things that we're programmed to have Mm -hmm. um and so i think that's been one of the things of waking up sometimes those things have to be disrupted they don't always have to be harmful right Mm -hmm. that i wasn't great like moment or moments um we do them in lots of different ways um but yeah, finding the self, kind of breaking those patterns or beliefs, um, that is waking up. And so that's been our, our journey is waking up to what is that reality that is so beautiful. Um, yeah, that's real freedom. So when we work with clients and they're like, oh, I'm like, but you'll never go back. Yeah, right. you'll never go back because you won't want anything less than you don't want the illusion anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want the illusion of who I want him to be or who I think he should right. be. I actually want him. That's what's well, up. Yeah. I think you're breaking down so much shame mm-hmm. around it too, which is, is so important because if we as a collective have shame around infidelity in the way that we're talking about it in this conversation, so not just sexual, right? But just the act of infidelity, the actful act of not being faithful in promised partnerships, right? In partnerships where there is promise, I guess I'll re- rephrase that. If we can take the shame out of that, then things like sexual infidelity do also hold less weight. And it's not to say they don't hurt, obviously, but we, we as a collective have an easier time accessing, uh, the curiosity because we don't get cut off at the knees by the shame, right? The person doing the infidelity doesn't necessarily get cut off, or maybe it doesn't even happen because we've been able to have these conversations and live through these other forms of infidelity in a way where that secretiveness and that shame-based kind of, you know, um, I guess shame-based kind of impulse might not even get to that point. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but I guess what you're bringing up for me is just speaking about this and trying to reduce the shame around infidelity as a topic, I think can be just so much, there's so much healing that can come out of that in so many other ways in relationships. I just, I love the way that you spoke about it as broken agreements, Christy, yeah. that are not like outside of the realm of infidelity. Like right. some of these societal agreements that was this an agreement that I made right. that this was a value, a structure, um, something that feels true to me. And I think ultimately these 
broken open moments, which <clears throat> I do believe whatever the, the form of suffering, like there is grace there when we are able to meet it with, there's some understanding I'm supposed to take away from this. And I think that there's so much beauty in the way you're speaking of like, yeah, this is just another one of these agreements we made. But I think so often we go into a partnership, a marriage, whatever, like you're, you're speaking out, like not really consciously. It's just sort of like, yeah, let's do it. This feels good right now, but like not really consciously deciding like, what do we want to build here? Mm -hmm. You know, how are we both as souls moving towards something together that matters to both of us? And I think when we have these moments of rupture, it gives us an opportunity to sort of redefine and maybe make an agreement for the first time, you know? Yeah. Um, this idea of agreements, I think that oftentimes people will say like, well, they're not the person, right? They're not the person that I, I said yes to. They're not the person that I remember. They're not the person. And I think it's, uh, we like that safety, but that is also very static. And that's not very exciting when that is the only thing that we have is just stability. Um, stability is great, but there has to also be curiosity with it. And um, I love stability that's really how I can risk take. And we've kind of learned like he likes to risk take and he needs stability as the aftermath. So we like, we have to give each other some of that because we have different needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I also find it really fascinating when people think that their person won't change. Right. And then we're surprised when, when they do, and then we don't give permission for that. And so that's part of the process too, is like, we aren't static beings and that means we're asleep if we are. So we're going to break agreements, but wouldn't it be nicer to be able to have honest conversations and say, let's rearrange agreements? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does this agreement still work for me? Does exactly. It still makes sense for who I am now because it did then, but it doesn't now. And is, can that be okay versus that feeling like that's somehow a personal affront to the person, right? Mm -hmm. um, but rather just be part of the process of us changing and growing together. I think that we often build our relationships and use our agreements sort of like bricks in a fortress, yeah. right? And it's this metaphor that sometimes we've played with, which is, you know, the purpose of a relationship is to feel safe and secure, to keep the bad guys out, the good guys in, to keep us thriving, to keep us feeling well. And, um, you know, whoever we let in through the draw through the drawbridge is, is, is a part of our team. Mm -hmm. And those agreements are like those bricks that we uh, fortify our position with. Uh, the only problem with that is that when a brick begins to crumble, when a, uh, and if it's a very large brick, for instance, in this case, like a sexual monogamy, mm -hmm. um, if it's a very large brick, when it crumbles, the fortress itself starts to get very wobbly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of relationships come, you know, to us spring loaded with uh, this fortress that is now very cracking and decaying. And they say, oh, my God, I'm not safe. Please help. Which, of course, that, that is how it feels. Um, I think a much better way of looking at relationships is not a fortress, but a trampoline. Mm -hmm. Now, now we have a trampoline right in our backyard <laughs> and it's terrifying to watch our children run towards it and do these quadruple backflips and, and what, whatever they're doing. It's, it's really horrifying as a parent to watch this. And we think, you know, gosh, they should have like pads and helmets, you know, when they're doing this. And, and they're just having so much fun. They invite their friends over, they're jumping. It's really, really great. Now, as a, as a trampoline ages, the springs age mm. and you have to change them out. That's like an agreement. 
Mm. Agreements are the, the, the springs on a trampoline as they age, as they rust. You have to change them out. You have to replace them with new ones that work. But the point of the relationship isn't to keep everyone else out mm -hmm. and keep you safe. It's actually to risk in order to jump higher, in order to have delight, in order to have a sense of fullness of life. That's the point of it. Mm -hmm. Living in a fortress isn't actually going to make you feel delighted. It's not going to make you feel vibrant. I know you think it will, yeah. but the trade-off isn't very, isn't very good. The results don't seem to, to match. And so I love that idea of the trampoline of relationships. They take us higher. They take us farther. And our agreements should be something that we're ever exchanging. Love that. Mm -hmm. So I guess something I want to hear the thought, the two of you, how do I say that? So I would love to hear your thoughts on you guys. Is, you got it. I'm like, hold on, sit with me here. Um, this idea of what you were saying about freedom versus stability, Christy, because one of the things that I feel like comes up most with couples is it's always sort of this push and pull, pursuer, distancer, right? Like one person is looking for a little bit more freedom where the other person really needs a little bit more stability. And what I find ends up happening so often is it's like this push-pull dynamic where we start to get into like almost like parental dynamics and partnerships, right? Which as we all know, is like such a killer of Eros, killer of life force, all of the things, right? And so how have the two of you negotiated um, those different needs within you? <laughs> you wonder what I'm gonna say? I <laughs> <laughs> like, ooh. Uh, I think first of all, it's really for me like identifying uh, identifying what those needs are and how like, you know, couples ourselves are playing into those roles. Mm -hmm. So for me, like what I bring to relationship, I think I really do bring stability to relationship. Um, and the funny thing is, is that I would say, I don't know what you would say. I love to have fun. I love play. I love fun, mm -hmm. but sometimes I get locked out of it. Right. If I am the stable force. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the thing that I thrive, like I could have no schedule. I could just, the world is my oyster kind of thing and just be gone. Tra-la-la basically. But the funny thing is I actually bring the stability to our relationship and to our home. So if Rainier doesn't meet me with that, I am locked out of that, which drives him crazy because what happens is, is I get, um, so I'm an Enneagram seven, I think, I think perhaps if you guys Enneagram it, um, but it pushes me into like a one where I become more rigid, more strict, things like that, which I don't love being mm -hmm. and either does he, he does not like it when I'm in that place. Right. And so it also pushes me into a masculine role too, mm -hmm. which is not really that fun for us either. Right. So, um, so we have a lot of, I'm answering this really wildly, aren't I? Um, I all the different things. Um, but so what happens for me is if he doesn't meet me with that consistency, doesn't meet me with stability, doesn't meet me with um, that, I can't show up with like wild curiosity and fun and play and meet him with um, fantasy and all that because I'm, I'm holding the line. And, um, and then that we start to struggle 
Yeah. Like you just put, I, by the way, I have to say, I feel like I was just listening to like, you're literally in my head. <laughs> you just articulated. I'm going to pull out this clip and I'm going to play it for John. I'm going to be like, just so you know, <laughs> this is me. <laughs> Listen to what she's saying. So sorry, Renee, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was like, oh, I feel seen. No, does that feel accurate? It, it really does. Okay. And, and I love what you said about if I don't meet you there, because I think the exchanges and when I do meet you there, when I actually uh, step into that really stable base for you and create those moments where you're able to be carefree, to be delighted, mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how we both get our needs met. Yes. It actually requires a bit of conscious leaning into what we're not, Yes. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so when we both kind of navigate that sense of, um, I'll say compromise, um, but when we, when we both navigate into that leaning in, the, the core things that are so often um, uh, like guarded or protected, like we're like, oh, this is my thing. I, I, no one's going to meet this need. I've got to meet it myself. We can, we can let go of that. The other person actually can meet us there yeah. once we lean into their need. I think that's the real gift of a relationship where two people are both leaning forward, mm -hmm. right? That you don't need to look out for yourself so much. You know that the other person across the aisle is doing that for you also. And so it is a real gift. I think it creates um, that sense of freedom and play in you. And I think it allows, um, it allows for that freedom and play for me too. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. So I just had such a like moment of understanding something. And I tell me if you agree with this, because what I heard in what both of you just said a little bit is, you know, I'm obsessed with masculine and feminine energetics. And I think that there's a way that I am hearing what you're saying about stability as form of like our masculine energetic and freedom as the feminine, right? And so if we think of Rainier, like you as, you know, this writer and artist who just like is exploring and like really like present in all of the like moment to moment, like beautiful energetics of your feminine. And, you know, I think so often, you know, Chrissy will like talk about how there are all of these ways that as women, we've just been so conditioned to be in our masculine a lot. Like motherhood is like one of the most masculine roles we play, right? Like, and we're very like task and figure it out and make it happen, but it's not always great for our sexual polarity for us to be in those roles, right? And so meeting each other, as I hear the two of you describing it is a little bit flipping and coming into the opposite energetic. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, and sometimes in our, in our um, how we work is if you could meet me, I could enter into that and be the thing that you actually desire. But right now we're both locked out of it. And that drives us a bit crazy. Like, I'm not even really liking you right now because of that. I think that's a really important point, Christy, is like, I'm not really liking you. I'm also not really liking myself. Mm. Like you said that a little bit earlier. It's like, I think that's a really important component to what you're saying is like, it doesn't feel good. Now I'm just speaking from my own personal, like if I'm, you know, we're talking heteronormative here and, and we know the masculine feminine is not necessarily about gender, but like as the woman in this heteronormative relationship, I don't feel good being in this wounded masculine place. This feels yucky to me. I want to be able to have freedom. I want to be able to be creative. I want to be feminine. I want to be sexual and you know all these things. And it feels gross to me to, and confining to me, right? And so mm -hmm. you're do, we're each doing each other a favor in this. Like, instead of looking at it as like, oh, 
I have to do this thing for you. I have to be something I'm not. It's like, actually I'm benefiting myself too. So how do you invite the other? I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, I have a great, this is perfect. (laughs) This is perfect. I have a great story for this. I have a great story for this. I think this was, you know, during COVID, but when wasn't right now, time warp, right? Like uh, when was the time that we weren't there? Right. Uh, One of the things that I like to do to handle my emotions is be busy right? Like I just, right. I'm like busy. I'm like, what else can I do? And I just had a surgery recently. I was like, I'm driving myself crazy. I can't do anything. And I have to deal with my mind. This is really horrible. And so, uh, I was really into baking a lot and cooking and just, and I think the reason why is everyone had to be out of the kitchen. I was like, Oh, this is my space. Get out of here. And so I would just be doing it all the time like 30 baking projects at once. It was, it was, yeah. I'm like, look at everything I made. And I got to have my own space. And Rainier was in the kitchen, but not too close, but he could see me. And I'm so focused and I'm probably irritated and I'm working through something. And it was so direct and he couldn't really access me. I wasn't online. And all of a sudden I, uh, he walks over to me and he just puts down whatever I'm stirring with. It's probably gonna make me cry. And I, he puts it down and he just puts his arms around me and he just starts rocking me. Oh. And I was just like, I'm gonna cry now. I I'm gonna know, cry now. Why. <laughs> and he starts rocking me, just hands behind me. And it was like transferring of that masculine energy into the feminine, like you can stop, you can be held. I don't know. And it wasn't like, I know what's going on here. It's like, I don't know what's going on here, mm-hmm. but I'm feeling you. And this probably doesn't feel very good. And I just, I, it was such an interesting thing because I knew what he was doing. Actually, it was really beautiful. At first I was like, me, you're in my space. Well, yeah, I actually, I did want to <laughs> say the yeah. first reaction wasn't to yeah. drop you mm. it it actually was resistance you yeah. kind of your spine stiffened your shoulders got very tight and i just continued to hold mm-hmm. not aggressively not rigorously just hold um and suddenly i felt your body just soften just relax into that yeah yeah and i felt it i then i knew what he was doing now i wish i would have walked out of the kitchen just left a mess you know i wish i could say that it really transferred everything but it was the most beautiful experience in which it was a con a conscious choosing of that and i could really see myself and and shift that energy and be open what's well, so beautiful at that moment though where you experience christy being seen and when you're experienced seeing right is that what could have happened right? Is that you're in this like place and you're irritated and you're agitated. And, and obviously it's coming out in other ways, not just in the kitchen. And Rainier takes it personally and he's, you know, why are you being like this? And then he gets into his space about it. And then you're, you're basically butting heads about it. Right. And it turns into conflict versus in that moment, the choice, whether conscious or not for Rainier to actually see you and say, oh, this actually isn't about me. And I'm going to cross that bridge and hold my partner and allow that softening and that union to actually come together versus it turning into something that it would have been the opposite of that. I think that is so powerful and so hard for so many to do, but what a beautiful example of in that moment, you just choosing to see 
transformed everything, even if it was only for that brief moment. And then you went back to being stressed out, right? I think there are three principles that that really guide a lot of what what we talk about and think about and probably show forth in what you just said. Um, the first is not to take it personally. Yeah. Really, so little in this life is personal. Totally. Yeah. It really is, and that kind of gives way to the second um, principle, which is um, to have the most generous interpretation of the other person mm -hmm. that I can muster in this moment, right? To, to actually assume that this other person isn't malevolent, yep. the baking isn't out to get me, right? That this isn't, <laughs> this isn't really necessary, <laughs> right? To, to interpret it as generously as possible. And then the third, and I think this is the ultimate generous interpretation, that they, whoever they are, are doing the absolute best that they can, or else surely they would be doing better. And so if I can assume those three things elegantly in any given moment, I can really not only save myself a lot of suffering, but I can meet my partner where they are. And I think that that is so healing in terms of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you just said to me speaks to, you know, the importance of as I understand interdependence, it is that I tend to myself first. And I think the ego's sort of reflexive response will always be to make the other wrong, to look for faults in the other, to see where I'm being attacked, right? And defend against that. But if we sort of bring the focus back inward first, do a little bit of my own self-soothing first, mm -hmm. then I'm actually able to see my partner in the truth of who they are, not who I need them to be for me, which is what I hear you doing in that moment. It's like, okay, let me tend to what's coming up for me around what Christy's doing in the kitchen, right? And then I can go and actually see her and love up on her without her needing to like be something so, so that it's soothing my nervous system. I actually can offer that love to her from an authentic space. I love that. And I think it requires a little bit of knowledge of who you're working with. Yeah. Right. And, and this, this, this actually gets back to what Christy was saying, you know, um, and actually Vanessa, you were kind of mentioning this, this sense of not liking oneself when you're in that place or when you're locked out of how you truly want to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, knowing Christy and knowing my story, um, the truth is that, that Christy was raised, she often says this, like, she she has three older brothers and her house was very very masculine mm. and she often says i was raised to run with the wolves mm. and that was how she was and in fact a very strong masculine energy yeah. and when you look at those those principles or those dynamics that was really her entire trajectory growing up and throughout her early 20s as she was kind of running off that family of origin story similarly for me on the reverse side you know, I was raised by a, a very powerful feminine energy in my mother, my father, my, my male um, counterparts were largely absent from my life. I learned how to be very soft, very creative, very, as Vanessa, or as, as Danae was describing, you know, very much in that, in the flow, one with all that is. Um, but the reality is both of us were locked out of a part that we really wanted to access. Yeah. And so Christy actually really longed to be in her feminine. She really actually longed to be in that place of, of delightedness. And I really longed to step into those places of solidness, of stability, uh, of anchoring that leadership. And so it is actually giving each other a gift to be in relationship to each other. And so knowing what your partner's goals are in any given moment is also very important, I think, to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I think even understanding like the differentiation between what is our personality versus um, like, you know, the like, well, I guess I would even call our personality, our conditioning, right? But like the core of who we are, right? Yeah. Because I would argue there are so many of us that like our conditioning tells us to be something that in our essence, we are really like, I, I exactly what you're describing with Christy. Like I have had that experience of like having no idea how hungry I was to soften after a lifetime of every bit of my conditioning telling me, no, 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 that's not what you do. That is unsafe, right? So it's like survival, like that defending against that is like the survival mechanisms we spent a lifetime developing, right? I went to this training once for women, leadership of, of women and their technique for becoming more, um, I think powerful and influential was to become more man. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole feminist movement, right? Right. Really actually. Yeah. And I was like, become more man. Yeah. I was like, that is not who I want to bring. I actually want to bring myself. How do you, how do you mean? What, what were they, what were they teaching? Uh, the we way know that what you she means. I'm just kidding. Right? I'm like, like, man, I'm like, never, <laughs> yeah. But I, I would just sat there, <laughs> right? Like I sat there really struggling because yeah. Uh, I think because I felt so locked out of that, just wanting to be a self and it, it wasn't a training that I was, I was in a leadership role and I just sat there thinking, this is so sad. Yeah. The, the way to become more is to become more man, to become more masculine, to talk deeper or to present like, and I thought, oh, the gift of a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Is that she is a woman yeah. <laughs> and that she does have these parts to her that is, that are not uniquely, um, held in a man. Of course, we're talking about polarities. Like we have access to all of those, but I don't want to be something that I don't identify with. Right. Um, and so I didn't realize how, again, Danae, like that, like how hungry I was for that. Now, if you look at my birth story, if you look at how I grew up, if like my menstruation was like, when I got it, I was just sheer devastated because I, it meant that I was no longer like the wolves, <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. well, that, that really sucks. So all of it was like coming to a point of acceptance and stepping into that. And we have given each other the gift of really unpacking so many different aspects that affect relational dynamics. But it, but part of that has been polarity, femininity, uh, masculinity in that, um, yeah. And trying to pull those things out and give permission to do that. There's a play to that right? There's a, a permission giving, try on what you want, mm. right? Try as many things as you want, um, explore, mm. be expansive. Um, and I think that that really is a, a large part of what we try and offer each other. Mm. Yeah. I think this is why I just feel so hungry to normalize having these conversations, because I think the way that you both just spoke about allowing our ourselves to integrate these elements that are alive in both of us, right? Like, um, I think when I talk about these dynamics with men, a lot of times, and you know, I'm talking about men who identify as more of a core masculine, there's just such a rejection of the feminine that all of us have been conditioned to feel. So I like, I'm like watching Rainier talk about like his feminine with like such like reverence and love for himself and that, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like teach us all how to be there because, you know, all of us across the board, you know, we're taught every aspect of the feminine needs to be rejected. And that's us as women, that's us as men, however we identify as gender, but um, this is all of our intuition and our, you know, our play and our life force and our connection to the source that we come from. And we can't sever that part of us and feel like whole human beings, any of us, right? Yeah. 
Boy, that's so true. I, I, I think that one of the great misfortunes in culture today, we might talk about it as the rejection of the feminine, but I think that it's the embrace of the mind, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us are just walking heads, you know, right. our frontal lobe slightly to the left side is just so dominant. Yeah. Even our feelings get processed through our thinking. You know, I think the the great gift of the last 40 years, I think we talk a lot more about feelings, but we're still primarily a psychological culture, mm -hmm. always trying to understand, always trying to reason, right? And that what we've lost is a sense of deep intuition, of perception, of instinct, right? And that connection to, to essence. Uh, and I think we have to rediscover that, whether that's connecting to what we might call the feminine, um, or not, I, I think that, that words like delight, words like play, I actually was talking with someone recently and I said, be delighted. And they said, oh, I've got a big block around that word delight. <laughs> and, and, and I tried to explain it. And you know, what I said was, well, you know, delight is just one side of the spectrum of, of happiness. And if happiness is, is a spectrum, delight's on one side and joy's on the other. Mm -hmm. Delight is a present moment state dependent relationship to happiness. This mm -hmm. happened and it made me delighted. Mm -hmm. Joy is way over on the other end of the spectrum and that's happiness regardless of what happens. And the truth is we need both. You know, I've got to be able to laugh in the storm and I've got to be able to play in the moment. And, uh, and so I think we need to have a hand in both pockets. Mm -hmm. And that looks like recovering the masculine and the feminine. Yeah. I like that. Like Danae and I, we had a conversation actually, I think it was with Nico actually at our retreat around mm -hmm. the, some people struggle with the usages of like feminine and masculine and just using the terms. And it's not to say that we like agree that they should be banished because obviously we don't, but I think what you're saying is really helpful. It's like, there are also ways that we can access the energetics that mm -hmm. are within those quote unquote categories, if you will, if we're using them as that that don't necessarily say this is masculine, this is feminine. It's like when I say the word delight, right? I feel like anybody and everybody can be like, oh, I either have a good relationship with that or I don't, but I seek it, right? Yeah. And so it's like, let that be what you're trying to lean into then, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just work on delight right now. How about that? And, and that can almost, I'm, I'm like thinking about this with my clients that I work with. It's like, let that be your gateway. And then to, to claiming more mm -hmm. of that quote unquote feminine energy, right? Um, and, and that actually feels more accessible to some of us who are a little bit more like front lobe, <laughs> you know, leading, if you will, because it doesn't get a little, it, I think sometimes at least in my, with my clients, it feels a little bit like it's too out there. I can't grasp it. Right. right. But if I can give them that delight, let that be your homework. You know, it's like, oh, I, I can try to do that. You know, oh, I like that. Yeah. I also think they, it can be way out here or it can become like a rigid container. Yes. Like this is the masculine or this is the feminine. And so again, it becomes another label that yeah. then people identify this is this or this yeah. is that. And I think those also become detrimental, right? When we start really being heav heavily on the labeling. Anything you identify as you have to defend mm. and it becomes that thing that you become rigidly armored against mm. into being. And so I think one of the gifts that we can give each other in relationship is actually to let go of those rigid labels, to let go of our dogma of expectations. Um, again, the gift of, of infidelity here, right? It's to break a vow um, and to begin to step into the reality of who I am right now in relationship to you right now. And I, th I think that is like 
as you know yourself and know the person you're, you're in relationship to, it's mindful agreements that you're always configuring over and over. It's not, this is an agreement, we're good now. Yes. It's, is this agreement still working for us? Is this uh, holding the relationship the way it needs to? Or do we need to continue to modify them? The answer is we always modify them. Mm -hmm. um, nothing is stagnant. And so that's the beauty of relationships is we come back to it. That was our downfall right mm -hmm. at the beginning with the understanding that we had about relationships. I said yes to this in this moment with the idea of who you were, that that would be my idea of you forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How silly, mm -hmm. but we all do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we continue to make new agreements as we grow and change and afford the flexibility of discovering ourselves and the other anew all the time. Mm. Just love it. That's it, man. I mean, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of quote of the episode. It's like, so good. This is what we're trying. I mean, I, I think that this is this rise in and you know, whatever, I know I'm in a little bubble, whether it's a Los Angeles bubble, whether it's a social media wellness world bubble, whatever. But I do feel like there is this rise in this, not only I was going to say desire for, but really it's actually working for a conscious relationship and whatever that air quote conscious relationship means to you you know, I, I think it's this, I think it's like, let's start letting go of some of these shackles that actually aren't even our shackles. Like we didn't decide on these shackles, right? Like we yeah. were, we inherited them. Um, and so if you inherit something, you don't like it, then let it go. Like, what are you holding on to so tightly? What works for you now? It might not be that tomorrow and that's okay. Um, there's so much shame work in this. There's so much, um, and it's scary too, because it's scary to be the trailblazers. You don't have, there's no myth to look towards and say, oh, see how that person did it. I'm, I'm just following in their footsteps. You know, when you're the trailblazers in anything, it, it's scary. You're, you're out there alone a little bit. And I think that that's important to, to know. There's that book. I think it was from the the 80s called Who Stole My Cheese. I, yes. I'm going to be honest. Oh, I had I, to read that in yeah. one of my jobs that he, our CEO made us read it. And I don't know if, I mean, I can't recommend the book, so this is not a recommendation, but <laughs> the analogy is really humorous to me. And I, I love this analogy, right? Which is like a rat in a maze thinks it has all the possibilities in the world. And it's got like seven tunnels, mm -hmm. but it thinks it's got all the possibilities. Well, it turns out seven options, one possibility, mm -hmm. the maze. One possibility means no possibilities. Now, that rat is pretty smart. If you move the cheese from one tunnel to the next, it will go down the other tunnel. It will find the cheese. Not so with humans. Mm -hmm. Humans will not leave the tunnel they're in because it's the right tunnel, because it's the tunnel my grandfather told me about. It's yeah. the tunnel the Bible said. It's the tunnel that the government promised was the right one and I should work for to the end of my life. Who cares if the cheese is there? Yep. Well, the thing is, the happiness moved a long time ago, and you're miserable being right. Um, I think this is such a strange phenomenon in our world. I want to go where the cheese is. I love it. <laughs> Unless it gets hot enough in the tunnel, and then you're like, I got to get out. Right. And sometimes that tunnel floods and right. they're like, oh shit. I gotta get out. Okay. The analogy runs out of, out of the steam. Tunnel? The analogy runs out of steam at some point. Yeah. But I think it's so powerful what you're saying about the tunnel is these agreements, right? Yeah. That if we think about what the purpose of marriage was when it was invented, I say this to couples all the time. Like, is 2022 your grandparents, grandparents, grandparents version of marriage is not going to satisfy us. We have so much instant gratification at our fingertips. 
we have to rewrite these rules, you guys. It's just not realistic. It's not sustainable. They didn't need all of the things we ever had in there, but it's, it's just not the same. I'm sure they did, but they probably repressed the shit out of it, right? They, or like, they didn't know how to get to the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank God we have better tools today. And I really think we do. I mean, yeah. actually, I, I, I love the promise of the present moment. There are so many tools. There's so many teachers. There's so many. And maybe I'm in that same wellness bubble as you, Vanessa. But I, I do think that when I when I look at what's out there, I, I hear a lot of um, not blind optimism, but true optimism that yeah. actually relationships are beginning to define themselves um, for what they want. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I just said this last night to my partner and we were walking on the street after we'd had some really powerful conversations yesterday and he did almost exactly what Rainier did for you. He literally mm. just held me mm. in a moment and that's not normally his go-to. It's like, I want to fix it. I want to make it. And that was like meeting me in a, in a, in like two horns locking and instead whatever in him inspired him to just like stop talking and like take me in and just literally hold me in his arms like a baby and I, and I said to him last night, I said, I am so grateful for who you are as a person. Like I have met somebody in this lifetime that is that just wants to do this work. Like I do wants mm -hmm. to uncover more, wants to understand deeper, want all of these things that we've had this conversation around. Like, and I said, I just want you to understand, like I, I you're rare, unfortunately. I mean, not, 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 I think it's shifting. And I said, but I want you to know that like, I want you to see that I see your rarity. Like you're like mm. a gemstone. And I think that's important for you to, to hear me say. And anyway, I just thought that was important to share because it just feels very timely right now. You know, it's this, this, this shift in relationships, like what we want them to look like and feel like. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, what is beautiful is that we should see and hold with reverence the person that we're with as rare and I also think that there are so many men that are hungry to step into something that they have been conditioned to believe isn't, isn't accessible, right? right? Or that they're not, they don't have the permission or the, the skill set, the tools as Rainier's saying. And so I'm so grateful for men like Rainier who are saying, here's how you get there, brother. Like, let me help you because it's like, it's like, go fly a jet. Like I, he, literally a lifetime of someone saying you're not allowed to fly you stay there with no feelings right like how how could they possibly know yeah and i think that it's more than feelings what i what i feel like rainier has to offer to men when i get a couple or i get i will often be like ooh there's some stuff that needs to be worked on mm. right it's not just about emotionality it's about taking responsibility for your life ooh yes Right. And, and, and radical honesty about who you are in life and how it's impacting you and those around you. Mm -hmm. And so it's an integration of those two, again, polarity, right. Yeah. But if you don't, uh, take responsibility of your life, mm -hmm. you don't have a life worth living. Right. It's just like, it's a very passive movement and gosh, I feel like we can keep talking forever. I'm, I'm right. Like there's, I'm like, Ooh, there's a little nugget. Um, but I love that part because again, Danae, like you said, and his writing, he holds both. Yeah. And that's really beautiful. He holds, he holds both. Um, and he brings that to men's work. And I should, I should come to this podcast more often. <laughs> well, and great, you guys. Again, I you want a name like, yes. that I love the reverence with which I watch you hold Rainier on social media, just like the biggest fan of your husband's work. Like that to me, when I see in couples, you know, because that is like a lot of times I, 
I see just like, we're holding the person that we're in partnership with, with like a fair amount of like contempt and dismissal and taking for granted. And so when I see couples where it's like, no, I'm your biggest fan. That is what you're meant to be. That like makes my heart explode. So thank you for modeling that as well, Christy. I think it's so important. Yeah, you're welcome. We've worked hard to get to these places. <laughs> I will tell you that's part of it is like getting, working hard to get to those places where uh, that you are that for each other. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's work, it's work and it's play. And, uh, I love that I get to celebrate that with him. It's really cool. I mean, we really could talk to you guys forever, ever. This is like the fastest ever it goes when, um, I know, I know, but we have a lightning round of questions. I kind of want to see if yours are different than they were last time. So we'll have you answer. Um, you both answer them. Okay. But let's get into it. Um, I hope they're easy. Are they like your favorite color and your favorite food? No. I hope they're easy. <laughs> oh, um, so mean. Okay. I, I've forgotten them. So this is good. good, good. Oh, okay. oh, they're the same question. Yes. Um, so who have been your greatest teachers, influences, um, inspirations along your path up to this point? Me? All you. Um, I would say that my dad. Mm. Um, I would say Desmond Tutu. Mm. Um, I would say... Who else would I say? You're come on. You're looking it's for people so who are obvious. listening. She's Is looking it? at him. Yeah. <laughs> Is it an obvious one? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Katie? Oh, Byron Katie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Byron Katie has been <laughs> she's been probably the most influential teacher. That's true. Of my of my Thank you. Mind. I feel validated in hearing. See? I'm like, you see her. Who? You see her. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Forgiveness, loyalty, and changing of the mind. Those three encapsulate that for me. Boy, I I don't know uh, if you're asking me. Also, the I I don't know if I answered this last time, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I would say uh, Rainier Marie Rilke, the poet. Mm -hmm. I would say Krishnamurti, um, the teacher. And I think I might say Ernest Hemingway, the writer. I know I didn't say that last no, time. I'm going to say that, it. But I like that answer. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. So we talk a lot in this culture around like flow, right? Like what is that for you? This moment where you just can lose yourself in something. Um, you know, what are you doing when you find yourself in a state of flow? Um, for me, the most amazing thing happens when I sit down to type on the modern typewriter uh, of my phone or when I journal. Um, it, it is a holy moment because thoughts that were not there, they were not there, mm -hmm. and feelings that were not there and words that were not there are suddenly on the page. Yes. And the only thing that I can mm -hmm. actually say is that they are um, somehow from elsewhere and that that they simply broke full form onto that page mm. as if they did not exist and it, it is a sacred thing to me mm. wow yeah <laughs> no pressure chrissy i know no pressure i'm like i struggle with the words i'm like what's the right word what's next it is amazing it is amazing to watch mm. um read what and to read and to read i'm like what you just did that it's true. Um, to me, I am a nature baby. So if I'm in the water, if um, I'm outside, I could walk endlessly. Mm -hmm. 
It's true. I've I've got no one wants to walk with me anymore because I, will I saw just, the look that he just gave us when you said that. It is that. true. He's like, mm-hmm, it's true. He's like, I'm, like they're known as death marches. By mm-hmm. I'm like, do you want to go for a walk? Everyone's like, nope, <laughs> I'm out. Um, and I think it's because I can really access like my thoughts, yeah. uh, my emotions, and I can just process. And because I find myself being so busy and distractible, I think those things um, come to me and and the water. I mean, the same thing. If we go to the the beach, he's on the sand and I'm in the water. So that is the place that I, I feel truly alive. Love it. And what breaks your heart? Boo on this question. <laughs> I'm not that in is for this the one. first boo, Christy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dang. I think, okay, let's see here. Mm-hmm. Oh man, crickets. Do you want me to go? Yeah, I think you should go. I hate a broken heart. Mm. Me. Well, sevens are pathologically avoidant of pain, so that makes sense. Um, hmm. I'll say that for me, and I think this corresponds to our story, you know, whenever lovers miss each other, mm. right, they're like orbiting the same the same space. They keep on bumping into each other. They keep on sharing those moments, and then they just miss each other. Yes. That is just the most heartbreaking thing. And there have been moments in our life where we missed each other. And those are the moments I look back. I don't have many regrets, but I look back and I go, oh, my God, Mm. how could we have missed each other for so long? Yeah. Yeah. See, and I didn't think he was going to make me cry this time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, in the final minutes, you got her. (laughs) (laughs) I got myself, too, for what it's worth. (laughs) I'm just joking. Uh, Man, I... I think that the truth is, is I think a lot of things break my heart, but I keep things very um, jovial. Mm. And so I think that one of the things is um, when I see suffering of the people that I love around me, um, whether it's Rainier or my kids, um, I think that those things break my heart. And I think that the bottom line is I want everyone to be okay. Mm. (laughs) And as a, person who does struggle with codependency in that way, like that everyone's okay, weighs heavy on my heart. And so um, whether it's our relationship or others or myself, <laughs> yeah. I feel like you and I need to go have a beer. We are kind of the same <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like, strong vibes of like, Danae. <laughs> I was like, God, you remind me of Vanessa Christie. <laughs> <laughs> Danae knows that's my thing. When I'm like, I want to go have a beer with this person. Usually it's like, this is the person I want to go like bro down with because <laughs> we can bro down about a lot of shit. <laughs> While you're doing that, Rainier, you can just write some stuff and I'll sit and read it. <laughs> I'll we'll hang out. We'll hang out. <laughs> oh my God. Interview's over right there. Right there. There's a mic drop if I've ever seen it. Difficulties. Mm. <laughs> that's Sorry, John. Sorry, John. It's rock and roll. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Just drop the mic. Literally. Oh, yeah. That, that's a mic drop, isn't it? <laughs> really uh, a throw. <laughs> throw. Um, okay. So, last question What is your favorite food? Oh, we end with that one. <laughs> I was like, go for the light ones. I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm stuck again. 
you, you know, um, it's so unfair to to answer this, but I feel like we've developed real regional like tastes. Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna say a region. Um, uh, Vietnamese ranks mm. really high for me right now. Um, if I can just have those flavors all day, it doesn't matter how you mix and match them. I'm there for it. Lemongrass. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. I'm, you got I'm, for it. I'm all for it. So that I'm, I'm just going to enroll that right now. That's today's answer. Okay. Oh, it's good. It's good. I also love that region, but I'm going to go different because I'm going to differentiate right now. Nice. I'm going to say fried chicken. Oh, fried chicken. She went there. Yeah. <laughs> that is your favorite. That is my favorite if you talk like a comfort food. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to have that. Yeah. Otherwise, the Asian cuisine is my favorite, but I had to have a little different. What about like Vietnamese fried chicken? Oh, yeah. Something oh, like I'm that. In. Korean fried chicken. Oh, I'm in. All right. Compromise. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still have a meal together, I guess. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you guys. I mean, you know, I could just sit here and gush, but I, I feel like you guys are just such a gift and um, really an honor to know you both. Thank you for just the way that you're showing up in the world. I think you are doing such an incredible service to so many people showing us that there are new ways to do this thing called being in love and relationships. And um, your podcast is amazing. I love it. I'm a big fan. So you guys check out Love Like Hell. It's so good. And thank you for coming on, you guys. Really and good. where else can our listeners find you? So Love Like Hell is the podcast and it's available anywhere you listen to pods. Yeah. And everywhere. then let's, what about your all's kind of personal spaces? Instagram is the place I hang out. You can find me at Rainier Wild. Turns out if there if there's like an addition of numbers or letters or anything else, if it seems me. a little wonky, it's not me. And if mm -hmm. they're asking you for psychic readings, also not me. <laughs> yeah. Yet uh, it's, apparently it's fairly lucrative, but I'm it's not the there yet. Yeah. So uh, just Rainier Wild at Instagram. Yeah, and I have my own private practice, so relationallife. Uh, dot com, and on the podcast. Oh, all right. Amazing. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So nice this. to meet you guys. It was awesome. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mm -hmm.